1: This episode is sponsored by Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. How do they do it? Like us, Girls Can Crate believes that real women make the best heroes. And every month they deliver them to your doorstep. This episode is also sponsored by our Patreon supporters, Monique Harris-Pixotto, Caitlin McTaggart, Lindsay Cummings, Mandy Booty, Jamie Lang, Maria Carla Sanchez, Chantelle Oliver, Valerie Jacobson, Ellen Gross, Jill Harrigan, Heather McKinnon, and Craig Williamson.
0: When we are planting trees, sometimes people will say to me, I don't want to plant this tree because it will not grow fast enough. I have to keep reminding them that the trees they are cutting today were not planted by them, but by those who came before so they must plant the trees that will benefit communities in the future. I remind them that like a seedling, with sun, good soil and abundant rain, the roots of our future will bury themselves in the ground and a canopy of hope will reach into the sky. I am one of the lucky ones who lived to see a new beginning for my country. Others were not so fortunate. But I have always believed that, no matter how dark the cloud, there is always a thin silver lining, and that is what we must look for. The silver lining will come, if not to us, then to the next generation, or the generation after that. And maybe with that generation, the lining will no longer be thin.
1: Katie. Hi, Olivia. Those were the words of a woman named Wangari Matai. Have you ever heard of Wangari Matai? Yes. I think she's going to be one of our subjects who is slightly better known than some of our others.
2: Yeah, she seems to be like a rising star in world history.
1: Yeah, but I think she's still incredibly less well-known and recognized than she should be. Mm-hmm. So I'm thrilled in this episode to be talking about the first black woman Nobel Prize winner in the world, environmentalist, activist, professor, politician, mother of ecofeminism, and all-around superstar, Wangari Maathai. Yes! I'm Olivia Mickle,
2: And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's-Her-Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of.
1: My guest for this episode is the brilliant writer and author of an autobiography of Wangari Maathai, Virginia Peary.
3: My name is Virginia Piri. I was born and bred in the township of Umzelirazi in Mulawayo Zimbabwe. We speak Isindebele, a clique language like Okam, Epanda. That's my language. I am an accountant by profession, now retired. I write both fiction and non-fiction. I'm also an African orchid expert and I sit on the IUCN Species Survival Commission. I've also been in the women's movement for a long time, both in Zimbabwe and international.
1: Virginia Peary's novels Are recognized as some of the most important and courageous literature focusing on women and women's issues in Zimbabwe. And she wrote the biography on Wangari Matai for the African Visionaries compilation, which was released in German in 2014. And then, thanks to Virginia Peary's perseverance, in English in January 2021. And it's a phenomenal reference for anyone wanting to increase their understanding of African history. And Matai was born in 1940 in a small village in Kenya. And she absolutely loved school. She loved learning. She was incredibly curious about the world around her. Hmm. But she realized very quickly upon arriving at school that if she wanted an education, she was going to have to fight for it. This is an education system where... Boys matter, and girls don't. <laughs> and the education of the boys around her was the priority, and anything she could manage to scrape out for herself was presumed to be good enough. But Bulgari Matai was not going to put up with this. She excelled <laughs> instantly, and she was absolutely determined to learn everything she possibly could. By the time she was 12, she had the highest marks in the school, qualified to move to a Catholic boarding school, and she was in her element. At this very sheltered Catholic boarding school run by nuns, she was, luckily for her, removed from the wars and the turbulence that are happening all around them in Kenya just before Kenyan independence from Britain in the 50s. There is huge unrest, but she is kind of semi-cloistered in the school environment and able to just really focus on her studies. Was Wangari Matai Catholic? She converted to Catholicism when she got to the boarding school. She continued to excel, eventually moved to a very prestigious all-girls high school, She was ambitious, she was driven, and she intended to study at the university in Uganda. But fate had a different plan for Hmm. Wangari Maathai. As Kenyan independence is settling in, and the world is looking to Africa, and seeing all of these countries starting to struggle to establish themselves on their own footing after centuries of domination. Yeah,
2: I mean, these are the the 50s and 60s and 70s. That's like almost the whole of Africa gains its independence in those decades.
1: Yeah, colonization is finally starting to lose its stranglehold on the continent. Man, i turbulent to say the least. Yeah. (laughs) Lucky for her. A few people were paying attention to Kenya. And when the Joseph Kennedy Foundation offered scholarships for outstanding Kenyan college students to attend college in the United States, where they could get training for professions and careers that didn't exist in Kenya, mm -hmm, she was one of those selected.
3: The most intriguing part is those were the first students who went to America when Kenya was going to be independent from Britain. A brilliant young woman and in those days in Africa there were not many women who were actually really forward even though they were brilliant but they didn't have the exposure they didn't have the opportunity or they actually did not go forward. That group of students included President Obama's father, former president of the United States. That's the group that went to America to study and prepare themselves to come back to Kenya for independence, so you can understand. It was mostly males, but she was one of those brilliant women. You can see what sort of a woman she was already. She was switched on, she was with it, she was there. That was absolutely incredible for a woman. Where'd she go?
1: Mount St. Scholastica College in Atchison, Kansas. Uh, <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> right, that is not what we had in mind, maybe. <laughs> but these are Catholic college scholarships, and off she goes to a Catholic college in Kansas. Wow. Now, as Virginia Peary points out, In her wonderful biography, the nuns in Kansas were nuns, but they were a lot less strict than the nuns had been in Nairobi. Oh, interesting. The world suddenly opens for this woman who has been fascinated by and largely shut off from the world. Wow.
3: And Wangari Maathai thoroughly enjoyed her time in the U.S., went to college, straightened her hair as well when she was in America, like what the others were doing. New music, new dances, new clothes,
1: new culture, an entirely new world of (laughs) learning opens up to her. And she is absolutely reveling in it. Wow! She's an iconoclast in the best sense of that word she is breaking every form and structure that she has ever been told Mm. she needs to conform to and seeing an entirely different way of thinking about gender about relationships about education about all of the underlying structures of society that had been so dominated
3: by British colonization for so long wow and I know at times in the backgrounds, in the African communities, all matriarch is very strong. But at one point, something happened. Patriarch came so strong that even now you find that patriarch, like I'm talking here, where I am now, patriarch is coming out so strong. It becomes difficult, like I said. Many of the cultures in Africa
1: pre-colonization were matriarchal or much more gender egalitarian but when the colonizers arrive, they deeply entrench these patriarchal ideals yeah. that they bring with them from Europe and then in some places these very rigid structures become even more rigid and more mm. codified than they were in those European countries when it was never the tradition, right? Interesting. And she's starting to see an alternative at this Catholic college in Kansas. She is treated as a legitimate scholar in a way that she struggled to be in Kenya. Mm. She was always... Brilliant at science. And after her bachelor's degree, she moved on to the University of Pittsburgh. I have heard of that one. Slightly <laughs> bigger city. <laughs> uh, where she completed a master's degree in biology. Ah.
2: So at this point, what are we like? Mid 1960s? Yes. Wow. Boy, what a time to be yeah. back
1: in America. And of course, Right at a moment when yet another large-scale movement is taking hold in the United States. Yeah. She joins a protest against air pollution while she is in Pittsburgh. And this moment changed her life. This is her first taste of environmental activism and almost of environmentalism at all, of the idea of... Ah. thinking about environmental protection, of thinking about the environment as an entity Mm. instead of just as surroundings. Right. She completes her master's degree and is offered a job at University College of Nairobi to teach biology. She is very excited to return to her country, bring her skills and experiences back She has had the world opened for her and she wants to bring it back and do the same for her students in Nairobi. But. No. She is still a woman. No. And Nairobi is still Nairobi. But they hired her. They hired her. And when she arrived, said, Oops, sorry. Actually, we gave that job to a man.
3: (gasps) What? Are you serious? I mean, being invited at the university to come back to your country, you've done well and you've got a job, you're being offered. She must have been over the moon. The greatest disappointment that she comes back home, she's got the job, she's been told, she's being asked to come all the way from America. She's excited to be at this university as one of the few women, or maybe the only woman at that time, just to be told that the job is going to somebody else. Jim, so Patriot made sure that she was not coming in, obviously. Wow.
1: The department head who had offered her the job was German. And he was overridden in the end by other faculty members who did not want a woman on faculty teaching. Wow. And definitely not teaching science. Ah. She is literally one of the most qualified people on the continent and can't find a job. Wow. She has traveled across the world to gain these skills and this information that she knows could help her country and her students. And she's just frozen out of everything.
3: Wherever she went, the doors were closed. Obviously, the news went round. You know, the men get together and talk, and they can really close your doors. It's all a male club. No women here, that sort of thing.
1: Finally, when that same professor, Reinhold Hoffman, who had offered her the job in the first place, returned to Germany, he suggested to her that maybe she should go with him and pursue a Ph.D. Yeah.
3: I think Reinhold Hoffman, when he went back, he realized that Wangari Maathai wasn't going to get anywhere. So off she goes
1: to Munich. Wow. <laughs> she spends two years in Munich doing the research for her Ph.D., and then goes back to Kenya to write her dissertation, finish her degree. Wow. This is a brilliant woman. When she returns from Munich, she marries her childhood friend, and in 1971, she had a baby, and she becomes the first woman in East and Central Africa to earn a PhD. Wow. After several more years, she finally breaks her way into the establishment in 1974. She's hired as a dean and in 1977, finally as a professor at the university in Nairobi. She has finally smashed her way into this extreme boys club. Yeah. And she's starting to be seen as a prominent voice in Kenya for science, for environmentalism, for women's rights in politics. She's getting involved in lots of fields where her experience is really valued, hmm. she's kind of a big deal, <laughs> and her husband isn't so happy about that. Oh man! He needs to be yeah. as important as his wife, yeah. at least. So he runs for parliament. Okay. Which, all right,
2: you know, that's good a solution. That's one way to do yeah. it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and. Well, Gary connections and her involvement were super helpful to his campaign. She campaigned hard for him and his platform of new jobs and a better life for the community. At this point, Kenya is struggling with extreme unemployment, severe mm. poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, as colonialism leaves, it doesn't exactly hand over the resources needed to Mm -hmm. make that transition and the country is struggling she thought that they were both very committed to this project of helping the poor in Uh kenya to find jobs to improve their lives i don't like the way you phrased that yeah (laughs) we're not maybe super surprised Uh. that a man who has to take political office to upstage his wife is maybe not going to be a stand-up man, but spoilers. Oh, no. Not great. But as part of this campaign, Wangari Maathai starts thinking through how she can combine several of the things that she is committed to, and she realizes that two of her goals could work very well together.
3: And I think that's where she really... It's all got related to what later on she did, which means she was committed. The pollution issue and all, you know, and having grown up in rural areas where the environment was good, there were animals, trees, everything else. I mean, it was her surroundings.
1: So with her own money, she launches a new company called EnviroCare. She is trying to encourage reforestation in Kenya. She starts a tree nursery, the first indigenous tree nursery in Kenya. And the plan is she is going to raise all of these indigenous tree seedlings, which will then be distributed throughout the country for planting. It's a brilliant idea, but really struggles to get Mm. funding. Eventually, the company goes bankrupt and has to disband. Mm. But... This idea had launched her into the international environmental community, and now she's on their radar. So in 1976, she proposed a new project to the UN Council on Women. Wow! To encourage environmentalism and women's rights at the same time, and the Green Belt Movement was born. Woo-hoo! Now some of our listeners have probably heard of the Green Belt Movement. It is now a massive. Pan-African movement with the goal of eventually planting an 8,000-kilometer-wide band of trees and plants and greenery across the entire width of Central Africa. Awesome. This extremely innovative model pays women across Kenya to plant indigenous saplings around their communities. Mm. And for every tree they plant... They get 40 U.S. cents. I love it. They're combining two problems into one solution. Yeah. Poverty, especially among women who throughout the world still today, but especially in Kenya at this point, were much, much more likely to be living in poverty than men and environmental degradation. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's easy to see these connections, right? I think now we have a pretty strong worldwide eco-feminist movement. And the links between environmental problems and women's issues have been made more clear. At mm-hmm. least for maybe those of us studying that field. Yeah. But at this point, the links between environmental harms and harms to women really had not been talked about. Yeah.
2: I mean, the link... That it's a given today is a testament to Wangari Maathai and the success of her whole movement.
1: Yeah, she really is one of the mothers of ecofeminism. She's one of the people who made these connections for the world and said, wait a minute, you can't just think about this in terms of abstract science. These are people. These are women's lives being impacted. Let's pause for just a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Every crate features an inspiring woman, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEM activities and more. And for our listeners, if you go to girlscancrate.com and use the code HERNAME, all caps, you'll get 20% off your first month's crate on any subscription. So when I first heard about these crates, I thought they seemed really cool. But I have to say, when my kids got their first
2: crate, I was genuinely amazed. It really exceeded my expectations.
1: Check them out now at girlscancrate.com. And when you order, make sure you use the coupon code HERNAME, all caps, so that they know we sent you. Registration is now open on whats Your names Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatshernamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. As she's working in a lot of these positions in these environmental movement groups and women's rights movements groups, she keeps hearing from women who can't find enough firewood. And this is not a small issue. Yeah. If you are entirely dependent on firewood for cooking, for boiling water, for mm-hmm. a, it's a massive problem. And these women cannot find firewood. They're having to travel farther and farther away from their homes every day, which puts them at risk from animal attacks, from human attacks. Girls can't go to school because they have to help their mothers go find firewood. And this ends up causing severe health problems, food shortages, massive societal problems from the systemic deforestation Mm. of Kenya. Yeah. This initiative really changed people's lives almost overnight. The women who participated were more financially stable, obviously, but they were also able to be more independent of their husbands. Yeah. They had more power in their communities. As these trees grow and the entire community starts to benefit, these women are the ones responsible for bringing those benefits to their community. They're more valued, they're more confident, they're more empowered girls can go to school because their mothers are able to find firewood and they're bringing home enough money to pay school fees. They could improve their homes. There's a huge impact with this tiny investment and significant environmental improvement. When you put in trees, (laughs) flooding goes down, erosion goes down, your soil improves for crops, you have a better environment to care for animals. It's it's a exponential improvement from every sapling that goes in. It's such a forward-thinking model. It's, it's astonishing to think about now how out of the box she had to be to yeah. put these issues together and think about this.
2: And also just imagining the conversations when she's first pitching it. Because in yeah. many ways, it's so simple, you know, just pay women to plant trees. Done. (laughs) I bet there was just a lot of resistance, people laughing at the simplicity of it or Mm
1: -hmm.
2: mocking it as not sophisticated business model and, you know, all the ways that people can poke at an idea that is simple and straightforward. Right. And
1: especially hyper-local. Yeah. That often we want to see solutions as Huge and overarching and Mm. coming from over there. Big global models. Yeah, and that colonization leaves, but the mindset doesn't stop. And the idea that Africans are not capable of solving their own problems very much still continues, right? And that definitely African women couldn't be the solution Mm -hmm. to environmental degradation. Mm Mm-hmm. There's also, I think, anyone who has tried to work interdisciplinarily will identify with the other problem here, which is that people keep trying to force her to pick a side. Ah. She is involved in the UN Women's Council, women's rights movements in Kenya and across Africa, and in the environmental movement. And everyone wants her to focus. Mm-hmm. The Council on Women keeps telling her to stop with this weird environmental stuff you're just distracting yeah and the environmental groups don't understand why she's so caught up in like this whole women thing it doesn't yeah. matter and everyone keeps trying to force her to stay in a lane even though the work is twice as efficient it keeps getting questioned and rejected and interesting she is making everyone angry on all sides Her husband is a problem. No. His promises that she was so committed to and campaigned so hard for. No. Quickly uh, become apparent that these were just campaign words, and that he doesn't actually care at all. Oh my! About any of these things that she thought they were on the same team about. Mm. He wanted the job, and he didn't particularly want to do the job, Mm. which, of course, is a time-honored tradition in politics. (laughs) But he is not doing any of the things that he said he was going to do to actually improve the lives of the people around them. Wow. And she's irritated, but more than that, she is personally on the line here. Mm -hmm. She used her reputation to help him take office.
3: He didn't deliver. He didn't respect her. He didn't honor his promise to the people, to the electorate. She's mortified by this. She seems to
1: kind of redouble her efforts to accomplish these things that he promised on her own. If he's not going to do it, she has to figure out a way to do it. And she gets more involved in local politics, in the Red Cross, in the Mm. environmental movement,
3: in the UN Council on Women. She wasn't covering up, but she was embarrassed. She had to do something so that it looks good, it looks okay. He roared on her success and her brilliance and her, I would call a genius. Oh, yes, a genius. The more she works
1: to repair her own reputation, the angrier he gets at being upstaged by his wife. Ah, <laughs> Finally, in 1979, he very publicly filed for divorce, drags her through the mud in every conceivable way. He argues in court and to the press that she is too strong minded. (laughs) He was unable to control her. He blamed her for his high blood pressure. Wow. Because she stressed him out so much by being unwomanly. Wow. He accused her of having an affair with another member of parliament. Mm. And he won. Uh. The judge believed him, sided with him, and she was publicly humiliated on a grand scale, awarded no child support, No support of any kind. Wow. And her marriage is over. Speaking to the press afterwards, Wangari Matai told a member of the press that, in her opinion, the judge was either incompetent or corrupt. (laughs) (laughs) That comment landed her in jail on a six-month sentence (gasps) for contempt of court. Wow. Luckily, after three days, her lawyers convinced the judge that this was enough, and she was released after three days. But her ex-husband publicly demanded that she stop using his name. Huh. Now, this is the ultimate mortification. He wants to make sure he grinds her into the ground. Public humiliation. She has to do it. So she decides to add an extra A to the name. And that is how Wangari Matai M-A-T-H-A-I, became <laughs> Wangari Matai M-A-A-T-H-A-I.
3: Wow! She knew that she wouldn't win that one. By just changing it by an extra A, it's not the same name. It's totally different. You would have gone anywhere else to sue her. People say, well, sorry, this is spelled different. It's not the same. And I'm sure she loved that. I also love it. It was justice.
1: Now, she has to support three kids on a university professor's salary. And that's nearly impossible to do, even now, right? In the United States, (laughs) that's impossible to do, but definitely impossible to do for her. So she leaves academia for a while, and she becomes president of the National Council of Women in Kenya. She is elected against the protests of many members of the government. And so when she is elected, the government moves all the funding that they had been giving to the National Council of Women to another group. She ran for parliament and the government refused to allow her candidacy on a ridiculous made up pretext. Wow. How can she stand it? How? It's infuriating to read i yeah. can't imagine going through it
2: for just every step of the way to just be slapped back down like that
1: yeah oh. there's never a moment where her own government is not working against her gosh the government hated her they absolutely hated her she was she's a womanly yeah and she was making them look bad wow So she decided, fine, I guess I will focus on the environmental work. If they're going to stop me from doing any of the women's rights work, Mm. then I'll work on the environmental work. Because there, she can work with really strong international coalitions who recognize her. So the Norwegian Forestry Commission signs on for the Green Belt Movement. She gets a $120,000 grant from the UN which at the time was an astronomical amount of money for something like this. And within a few years, women have planted millions of trees across Kenya. Awesome. At the Third World Conference of Women in Nairobi, the Greenbelt movement was a major focus, even though the Kenyan government did everything they could to sideline it. As the hosts of this international conference, Mm -hmm. they applied every pressure they possibly could to make sure that she did not have the main stage, that nobody would hear her message, and somehow it still became the main international focus of this conference.
2: That's surprising they would still try to crush it when it's starting to make them look good, right? Like it's bringing attention to Kenya and... Oh,
1: praise. Just wait. No! They... Seize every opportunity to shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to Wangari Batai. In 1989, a project is launched to build a huge office complex in the middle of Uhuru Park in Nairobi. This is the iconic park okay. in the center of the city. Multiple skyscrapers, a massive complex, mm. 2,000 parking spaces, and a statue of the current president,
3: of course, uh-huh. of Kenya. Uh huh. Huge, huge development. At that time, people were not so conscious about conservation, preservation, and everything else. And then the question of oxygen, the question of the town, the question of pollution, how does it get cleaned? And I mean, that was a, a fight worth, fi- the place was worth fighting for. Well, Gari ran
1: a huge campaign against this. And here I think we see again how savvy she is at understanding the complex interactions of international press and how Kenya needs to look to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. right? Her main argument centers around not the environmental issues or any of the other things that might be poo-pooed by those in power. She argues, would the US do this in Central Park? Huh. Would England put skyscrapers in the middle of Hyde Park, yeah. she makes them look unsophisticated and foolish ah. right? to do such a stupid thing in this famous, iconic park location.
3: At that time, if she could get the women on her side, and you see it was a women's movement, it wasn't going to be easy. You saw what happened. And, and if other people, the high people are pro and uh, a group of women led by somebody they thought was not in order and yet she knew what she was doing and she was rightfully right. And I mean, why should we destroy and all? The diversity of the whole nature issue is, it's quite massive. The animals that have been driven out of their habitats, the plants that have gone into extinction, you know, and that sort of thing. I went to kurura Forest, and I was actually impressed. I just imagined what it was like. If one went to Nairobi, you'll pass through the airport and see. But if you actually went and tried to imagine and go backwards, it was worth, worth, worth it. The
1: government was furious. The, the reactions were violent. I mean, huh? they. she was threatened mm. with her life. There were massive debates in Parliament for days. And the center of the argument here is illuminating. They were furious, especially that they were being publicly criticized by a divorced woman. (laughs) Uh No woman should be criticizing us, but a divorced woman. Right. She should absolutely shut up and go home. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She lost any right to talk. Wow. Wow, wow. And wow. she's refusing to shut up and go home. <laughs> the court rejected her plea. Construction started. The Greenbelt offices were suddenly denied planning permission and were closed. Her house was raided. Ugh. And then the New York Times ran a massive story on the entire thing. Uh-huh. On the reaction, on the blowback that Wangari Matai is receiving. Yeah. The persecution by her own government. Wow. It became a massive worldwide scandal. Mhm. And finally in 1990 the builders pulled out because they didn't want their name associated with this project anymore. <laughs> she couldn't get the government wow. to care, but the public opinion mm-hmm. made the project impossible. So she won, and now she's famous. She has officially hit World Press, New York Times front page. Yeah. Now everyone knows who she is. And once again, the government has just made their own grave here. They yeah. could have simply moved to the complex somewhere else and avoided giving her this platform. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly she is a world voice, on environmentalism, and the world has become aware that African environmentalism is a thing. Yeah. She starts advocating for anti corruption, for better democracy, for. Again, she is seen as a threat. She is threatened with arrest. Gosh. She's sent death threats. Then she is arrested and charged with treason. Amazing. Sitting in prison again. Ugh. Until the international community hears and is absolutely furious. Several U.S. senators get involved. Al Gore is advocating on her behalf. <laughs> and it was such a huge international scandal again that the government has to relent and they drop all charges and she's released. Gosh. But none of the other political prisoners are. She is out, but all of these young people who were involved in, again, just signing a petition against corruption are imprisoned. So the mothers of these political prisoners come to her and ask her to help them pressure the government to release their children. She organizes a hunger strike in Uhuru Park. I think that's not a coincidence that this is... <laughs> hey, remember what I did here before? Here we are again. Mm-hmm. It is a three-day hunger strike of these mothers. Police storm the park with tear gas and batons, beat the mothers... What? Beat Wangari Maathai. <laughs> but these women did something remarkable. They bared their breasts (gasps) at the police really now this is a long tradition in kenya and across
3: many communities in africa well in the african communities women when they get angry or when they protest they use their bodies in fact the breasts are mild in other parts of africa when women really get upset, they bear the bums. It's a very serious protest that will make everybody back off. The way women protest, it's not a new thing. It's also traditionally going back. But it takes a woman to bear herself. It's not usual. When that happens, the women are really angry. This is... The final line,
1: you have gone too far. The women will no longer tolerate this and bear our breasts to you to remind you that we are mothers. Would you treat your mother this
3: way? It's the highest protest that can come from a female because once you're starting to see where you fed from, or where you came from. I mean, that's taboo, and people just back off and give in. That's the highest level of protest. That's it.
1: Men cannot continue when this happens. Wow. And they don't. They back off. And this hunger strike continues for a year. what? The women rotate in and out. When one woman becomes too weak, another woman takes her place. Oh my gosh. Mungari Maathai is one of these women rotating in and out of this hunger strike for a year. Wow. This <gasps> moment of the dramatic bearing of the breasts, of course, and then this year-long hunger strike attracts so much international attention that finally the Kenyan government has to back down and they release all of the prisoners. Man.
2: This is amazing. It's taking women that are being so ignored in Kenya and putting them front and center and using those classic weapons of the week, you know, hunger strike in the center of this park.
1: Right. Uh, The government wanted to make sure that these women knew they had no power. So they used the fact that they have no power as the message, right? Right. We can do nothing right. but starve ourselves in mm-hmm. public to get our children back. I, who is running that place, <laughs> men? Yes, what? <laughs> what outrageous, yeah, stupid decisions? The, the desperate clinging to power yeah. makes you stupid, man. You're holding on so tight, you can't even see that you're harming your yeah. own cause. <laughs> I mean, they could have lifted up Kenya with her.
2: Yeah. yeah. They could could have have done so
1: much. They could have been the center of the shining star of environmental activism. Wow. But it was more important to them that they Mm -hmm. keep this woman in line. Wow. This kind of thing just keeps happening. A few years later, again, they're starting to clear a famous national forest. And when Garimatai arrives with a plan, they are going to go ceremonially plant a new tree at the entrance to this forest, Uh, right? Yeah. Um, As the clearance has begun. Uh. The Greenbelt Movement activists and six members of parliament and some journalists and international observers arrive. And they are attacked by unknown men. Unknown men. Okay. who, Who beat them savagely. Wangari Maathai, four members of parliament, a journalist, and two German observers were all injured, while the police sat and watched. Gosh, this like I would believe this if you were talking about the 1700s or right. something. But this is just wild. Well, and funny you should say because maybe they had not realized how 20th century optics work. Yeah, but cameras were rolling.
2: When this happened
1: <laughs> and the footage of this attack on Wangari Maathai famous environmentalist yeah. while the police stand and watch was splashed on TV news around the world mm. and even the u n secretary general spoke up about this. Mm. Students had a huge demonstration in Nairobi. Battles in the street. The university is closed. This turns into a massive, massive incident. <laughs> and finally, the president made a law prohibiting the sale of public land. We will no longer be selling public lands to be cleared. And on the heels of this whole incident, Wangari Maathai is elected to parliament <laughs> seated among the very men who have dedicated their lives oh. to stopping her from whatever she is oh trying gosh. to do
2: her resilience it's mind-boggling it's unbelievable i can't fathom having yeah. that amount of persistence and resilience oh. wow. i give
1: up at the slightest inconvenience <laughs> This woman is is amazing. She really is. But her persistence did pay off when, in 2010, she became the first black woman to win a Nobel Prize when she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Woo! This, of course, gave her a huge new platform. Yeah, and a million dollars. And a million dollars, with (laughs) which she founded... The Wangari Maathai Institute for Peace and Environment Studies at the University of Nairobi. Oh. And that still focuses on how to network innovative environmental research and traditional knowledge ways Mm. to save the environment using both of those things, right? You have to understand the traditional knowledge and the indigenous culture She died in 2011 and there was a national day of mourning Mm. in Kenya. She received a state funeral from the government that had
3: made her life nearly impossible. (laughs) And uh, it's still, it's a movement that is so strong. A reclamation of the lost forest, replanting of trees and all, and that we're talking of indigenous trees, the originals. There are nurseries that have come up, that people are planting the indigenous trees, collecting seeds and schools. And every first of December, trees are planted by school children, by adults, by companies, by everybody else. In
1: 2012, a huge number of organizations around the world collaborated to establish the Wangari Maathai Award for sustainability. Wangari Maathai concluded her memoir with words that are
0: maybe her final testament. As women and men continue this work of clothing this naked earth, we are in the company of many others throughout the world who care deeply for this blue planet. We have nowhere else to go. Those of us who witness the degraded state of the environment and the suffering that comes with it We cannot afford to be complacent. We continue to be restless. If we really carry the burden, we are driven to action. We cannot tire or give up. We owe it to the present and future generations of all species to rise up and walk."
1: She really did change the world on a scale that I'm sure she never could have anticipated. And when you think about the hurdles she had to jump to do that. I know. I... It's incredible. I'm inspired. I pledge to
2: keep the blue planet in my heart, Wangari Maathai. I'm sending a donation
3: to the Wangari awesome. Matai
2: Institute. <laughs> Fantastic.
3: She really inspired all of us and strengthened all of us. I, I, it keeps me... Sane. I mean, in Zimbabwe, it's not an easy country to live in. Things are hard. And people like myself who writes and talks and looks at the rights of the people, the children, the women, the environment is not conducive. She, she has actually inspired me. So you can understand it's um, very, very important for me.
1: To Virginia Peary and to Recorded Books, a division of RB Media, for allowing us to use audio clips from the recording of Wangari Maathai's memoir, Unbowed, narrated by Chinasa Ogbuegu. On our website, you'll find pictures, links, resources, and more information about Wangari Maathai and Virginia Peary, and links to help you support the Greenbelt Movement. Music for this episode was provided by Robert Besin, David Akombo. Winyo, the Library of Congress and the Interchurches Music Festival. You can also follow
2: us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook where we post lots of photos each week. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith.
1: What's her name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle.